Awesome. Well, here we are at the St. Paul Ice Fishing and Winter Sports Show. I got some awesome guests for you today. You know, we're, this is this is such a great time. We have pros that have come in from all over walks of life, uh, from Washington to Maine, everywhere in between. We've met some pretty amazing people. Obviously, joining joining me is Jason Durham. I had to pull him out of the Reeds booth. You've been down there selling like a madman. Well, I've been doing some selling, but more than anything is just connecting with consumers. Yeah. Man, there's so many people from so many different states at this event, and everybody's got a story about ice fishing. Yeah. Everybody wants to know more information. Everybody wants to show you pictures on their phone about what they did last season, yeah. the big fish that they've caught, or a trip that they've taken. And some people we don't see except for once a year at this show. Which is sad. It's sad, but it's kind of like a reunion yeah. yep. of sorts, too. And I don't know how many people I talked to today that have never been to this show before. Really? And and the Reed's booth is right at the entrance of the show. So they come in and it's overwhelming. Yeah. They're like, oh my gosh, I did I had no idea what this was gonna they, entail. They're stopped by the dimples. Well and they I, wanna say hi. I, they're they're stopped by the product. Okay. <laughs> and then they just happen to see me standing there to chat. But if you've never been here before, this right. is the show to go to. The Super Bowl. And, and speaking of which, we got Scott Brower here from New York, the man behind Mackey. So talking about anglers and friends and you know camaraderie from all over the ice belt, there you go, literally across the country. So we're welcoming Scott, and Scott's got a really special guest joining us as well. You guys probably know each other. We do a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what, I'm so fortunate. And one of the things that... Um, always comes to mind when I think about the importance of ice fishing and that is family right yeah. so you know it's it's no secret that my son has traveled a lot with me fished a lot of tournaments with me very rarely because Marin is a medical professional she was in school for way too long and still probably paying that back a little bit because dad didn't pay for everything but my daughter Marin is here and she was able to come out with me this time and she's been integral from the very beginning in the Mackey story including naming Mackey Plastic, really. And, uh, you know, she just came out. Uh, we, we don't. She's 30 years old. We don't get time together like we used to uh, because we're a real tight-knit family who eats around the dinner table. Our our decisions for Mackey Plastic, our boardroom is our dinner table. Like, we throw That's everything awesome. out on the table and say, what are we going to do next? And so, you know, it's been a lot of fun and a great blessing for me as a dad and then also this show too as we all come together as that ice family for me to have her with me this year is super special too so man yeah absolutely it's my first time to the show it's awesome um it's it's crazy to see everybody here for the same purpose yeah. i think it's really cool and like you said everybody's kind of showing off their pictures and catching up with everybody so it's it's really neat to see for sure and so marin has set up shows with me for years right and she can attest to the size and the scope of this compared right. to some of the other ice shows that we do throughout the country uh there's nothing like this show and i would say probably maybe even in the world yeah. if you guys know of something different but I said when I was coming out here to my students, because I told them that I wasn't going to be there on Friday, had to take a personal day, only get one, and I use it to come to this show every year. And I was telling them this is the biggest ice event, I think, in the world, yeah. at least in the country. I, I, I think it is. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be quoted on that, but I know at least in our demographic of what we consider the ice belt here across North, North America, northern part of the United States, I don't know of a bigger ice fishing specific event. There might be some winter shows, but when this show started, there was an ice fishing booth. 
There wasn't a clam right. booth. It was the ice. It was the winter sports show, and there was one section that said the word ice fishing on a banner above it, and that was it. Right. And now you're talking three different levels, multiple rooms, all truly ice fishing. Yep. So I think from an ice fishing perspective, this has got to be the biggest show. I would think so. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really excited about today because, Scott, you and I have talked yeah. numerous times over the years. Yep. We, I don't think we've ever gotten to actually fish together. No, we've not. And, and well, maybe at one of the ice cream universities I, early I was on. thinking maybe we did, but the one thing about those events, too, is you're right next to people who are there as guests. Right. And you're trying to help them out. Yep. But really... We see we see each other at these events, and we get to talk briefly. We and we've sat down and talked in length a right. few a few times over the years. But to sit down with you and your yeah. daughter, have yeah. Marin here, and ask questions and have that connection is hugely meaningful to me. And I think that's one of the things I love most about ice fishing is you get the opportunity to do that with the person right next to you. Yeah, right. So, and it does, and you never know who you're going to bump into out on the ice. I mean, you could pull your pal up to a person who owns a business. You could pull your pal up to a guy who owns a farm. You could pull your pal up to a, a person who it's their very first time or it's their 80th year out on the ice. And that's one of the things that I love so much about this sport is it's not like when someone pulls a jet ski up next to you, you want to fight them. It's you pull a bucket up next and say, hey, what's going on? What are you using? How's it going? Have you been and, on Lake Minnetonka? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've not. So maybe that is uh, maybe that's a thing. But out east, we're much more user friendly. We love each other. Everybody out on the ice. Yeah. I rolled yeah. my eyes when I said that. <laughs> my pickup on the cameras. I think this is amazing. You know, I, I've got a chance to talk to Scott many times throughout the years. And, and I have a son who's 14. You know Jack well. Yeah. And he always tells me, like, one of the most, one of the people he likes to talk to the most of these shows is you. And, he, and I said, why? And he's like, because I'm always learning something. Yeah. And they just did a junior pro panel. Yep. And his MC did up there. And we asked something like, okay, what's one thing about the show or what's one thing you really want to be better at this season that's so that you're going to do a takeaway? And Jack said, I want to be better at understanding equating said these words aquatic insects and how they act in the environment and i'm like what and even the crowd is like what and he goes well there's this guy named scott he owns this company called mackie and he knows everything about aquatic insects and the reason i catch so many fish is because scott makes plastics that look like aquatic insects and i'm like okay i'm looking around for scott like okay what kind of brownie points are you trying right, to earn right. here at this point but it's just case in point right your the ability to create something that people, in my mind, don't really fathom and turn it into fishing. We're going to get into this. I'm probably getting ahead of myself. It's pretty darn cool. And I think before we jump too far down that road, I think we. I always like to ask a question. Really, how did you get into fishing? I love hearing this story from all these different people we've had them. We did it back and forth to kick off this whole podcast yes. series, and and I don't know that answer. Like I know Scott Brower as the man behind Mackie, and that's how I was introduced to you. Right. But I don't know Scott Brower as a four-year-old kid catching tadpoles by the river. I don't know. Yeah. What, so how did that ball get pushed down the hill for you in fishing? So I grew up in a small town, Middleport, New York, um, right on the Erie Barge Canal. The Erie Barge Canal is a system that, that uh, used to move stuff from uh, from Buffalo to Albany, uh, Niagara Falls to Albany in, uh, in that Environment. There's some several, and they were called log ponds because they used to push logs down there. So they were called log ponds. So that was only about three blocks from my house, so I could ride my bike there. 
So as a kid, I spent most of my summers, like almost all of us did, falling in love with the water and everything about the water. So I would first go down and off the vertical walls, I would catch crayfish. And then I would take the crayfish and catch fish beyond that. So that's probably, my guess would be, where my love for trying to figure all of that puzzle out is. And that is, you catch one piece of you know that fish puzzle to catch the next piece of the fish puzzle. But ice fishing specifically, so there was a great neighborhood guy, and he had a great big station wagon, and his name was Jimmy Lockery. So my dad wasn't an ice fisherman, uh, didn't have the clothes for it, and didn't have the passion for it, and honestly had to work because my mom was a stay-at-home mom, had to work 60 hours a week to pay for us to be able to do what we wanted as a family, right? So he wasn't available a lot of times, especially in the wintertime. So Jimmy Lockery, who was a lineman, and they didn't do a whole lot of work in the wintertime because it was frozen. So he was a lineman for the phone company. He would go up Orange or up uh, Orchard Street, and he would stop at the kid's house, and he would say, you going ice fishing today? Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. If you got out and you got into the uh, station wagon, you got to go to Canisius Lake and fish for perch that day. And I was telling this story here about the very first sled that I ever sat on was one of the charcoal sleds. So it was a wooden sled that Jimmy had built, had a tray in the front of it, and it had charcoal in it, and it would be he would light it in the morning time, keep your hands warm, and all of us as kids would cycle on and off that sled to warm up because we had literally Wonder Bread bags on our feet <laughs> with boots that leaked and not warm enough clothes to be out there. And then about 10 o'clock, he would put on potatoes, onions, and garlic on that same charcoal and cook it up and that's what we had to eat when we were out on the out on the sled for the day catching Sounds these amazing. monster perch i can't believe that there isn't a product right now that replicates <laughs> that because this sounds like it's amazing okay i'm going to sit on the sled and warm up and then i'm going to eat potatoes that have been cooked on the back of it i, I can, you need that i need this in my life <laughs> i can still smell it like literally that's how fresh it is in my memory the garlic and he had a lot of garlic like he was that guy i'd love it yeah so it was you know it was awesome that he did that and took that time for those of us who didn't have someone to drag him out on the ice we drove him nuts at times but we also took skates with us so we would skate around while he was fishing and um you know jimmy was just a great guy now he was a big tough burly lineman and you didn't get out of line with him for sure like he wasn't one of those pushover dads he was he was a guy who'd straighten you up didn't matter what it was but that was the neighborhood we grew up in everybody's moms and dads was everybody's mom and dad so it was cool i I grew up in in a very similar situation and community and I, i don't know if you've ever thought about this but what do you think his drive was to do that You know what? That's a great question, and I don't know that I've ever asked that. Now, I was from his own kids, and his kids were all my friends, obviously. They were a little bit older than me, and some of his kids were a lot older than me, like 10, 15 years. I was the only one allowed to kiss Jimmy's head, and I would kiss his head and run out of the building. So, he, like I said, he was a big, tough guy who would give you the back of his hand. But we would have dinner, and I would kiss Jimmy's head. He had a bald spot on the back, and then I would run out the door, and it was like our thing, right? But I don't really know what his connection was and why he drove to do that. I think probably my relationship with Dickie at the time, his son. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, that's probably why I got invited for sure. But why he actually took us all, I, you know, I I never really asked him. And I wish I would have. Now, that's a great question. I wish I would have asked him. And what a great role model for other people, too. I mean, I, I had numerous people in my life that would take me fishing. My dad fished. 
but I would have community members that would ask me to come along when they're going to a different lake. My dad didn't fish a lot of different bodies of water. And that was so hugely impactful to me and on my entire life that I hear that story and I go, wow, this is so parallel. And, and I've thought about that about the people in my community too, is like, why did they do this? Did they have a mentor that did that for them? Because having experienced that, I do it all the time. Yeah, and me too. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I love so much the education portion. And one of the things that attracted me so much to this world here um, is the ice team, right? And the education arm of ice team and what we do to help other people understand that. Marin can tell you from her perspective, because those guys, I started dragging them out on the ice at probably two. two. Like they literally weren't old enough to walk in, in almost. In, and I started dragging them out on the ice because I wanted them to experience. I wanted them to have that love that you felt, that love that I felt, and that love that all of us feel when someone takes a personal interest in them and their love of the outdoors. Yes. And I think it's both of those things. And it's funny because when, when I chatted with Grand Root, it brings back some memories from that conversation where he had an individual who taught him yes. down at the local fishing pier, which he still yeah, remembers remember to this day. That was his driving force. And, and I always reiterate this, and I feel like it's a broken record in some of these podcasts, but sometimes we all take it for granted. Some of the small things we do for maybe even a kid that's at this show, the conversation you have that that might stick with that person or that one day at the boat launch when you're waiting for a guide trip and a kid's at the dock and you're like, hey, bud, you catching today yet? No. want to try this. Put this on. And then the kid can't. So I, I think it's it's remarkable to hear that story from you, from you, from everybody we talk to about how there's these certain situations as kids that we stick to. And if we think these small moments that we put out there as adults don't stick with these kids, we're foolish. Yeah, today it's, I was literally just before Jack went on and that crew went on upstairs, you guys. Um, I had two guys in the two kids in the booth looking at rods, and I walked over and I was talking to them about rod action because that's part of what I taught yesterday with how important rod action is and, and how different rod tips and speeds will impart a different action on it to yeah. make it look like an aquatic insect. Anyways, I'm talking to these kids about it, and they were very, very enthusiastic, and you could see it in their eyes. They were just, you know, it was almost like looking at a slot machine. Their eyes were just like going my God, this is the best stuff ever. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to give you guys a couple bags of bait. I don't have them with me, but they're up on the hut. I was up on the stage earlier today. I said, but first, I want you guys to go listen to your peers upstairs and see what they have to say, because I want them to excite you as much as they're excited about this sport. You should go watch your peers so that you know as a role model what you can become, and all you got to do is work hard. You right. work harder than everybody else in the room, you're going to be a great success. That's what I've tried to impart upon my kids. So anyways, they go, okay, where is it? And I showed them, and I said, check with your parent before you go up, because these guys were, you know, younger than probably when I met Jack. Like, yeah. they were that age, right? And so I said, check with your parents before you go up. Go up there and, and listen to that. When you come back down, I'll give you a couple bags of bait. Anyways, fast forward. We start walking that way. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be doing the podcast during that time. I said, I might be too busy. I go, come here, let me give you the bags of bait now, because I won't do it. So I showed them the bait, gave it to them told them how to use it, when those bugs are available in the thing. It was literally like I gave them a million dollars. Biggest smiles on their face. Thank you so much. You know, so much appreciation. And so you don't know. And, and for all of us listening, for all of us who are, who are ice fishers and go out there, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not think that what you say makes a difference, 
you're kidding yourself. You're 100% correct there, Matt. And you don't know, even the little things, how that's going to make an impact later in life. Right. Absolutely. I'll tell you this. I have bought so many jigs, so much fishing tackle in my life. I could never recount all of that. But I can tell you individually, every single bait or jig or wax worm that was given to me by a mentor, a hundred percent, because yeah. it was that meaningful. How many wax worms? A lot. <laughs> oh, gross! You know very, those are maggots, very, right? I do. Gross! Who touches do. that stuff? Uh, I, I ate one for a dollar once. <laughs> you ate one? Yeah. How was it? Uh, it tasted like a peanut. Tastes like chicken. Really? Like a peanut? Like a peanut. <laughs> All right. So if you're listening, don't eat wax worms. Okay. Oh man! That's Unless awesome. you get paid at least a dollar. Yeah. So how'd you? You obviously are taking your kids out fishing at a young age. I want to know some stories when you were younger, like some of the fish you caught. Like, it's so cool. Like, we talked about Don Cox. I don't know if it was Zach. What was his first? Yeah, it was one of the sons. His yeah, first yeah. bluegill was an 11 and a quarter oh inch gosh. sunfish. Yep. yep. No, no, I take that back. His first fish was an 11 and a quarter inch sunfish. No. And he still has never topped it. Right. And he was six years old. Right. I mean, where do you go from there, honestly, sincerely? You, you quit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. Yeah, you <laughs> I'm become done. a chef at that point. Yeah. So how, what are some earlier stories you have? I, I think um, probably, well, similar pathway, Luke, my brother stole my Barbie rod. I think I was probably four or five, and he was probably three, and I was mad, and he cast it out, and he reels it in, and he's like yanking on it and we're all like eh. and dad looks and it's this huge bass yeah. right so we got this picture of my brother he's like this big the bass is like more than half his body and he's like this yeah on my rod so i yeah. was furious but yeah was we right. went out early that day it was on the dock in oneida lake and uh i remember him just dropping down and i remember it taking off and i'm like oh, oh, oh we're not gonna get that fish no way and sure he stuck with it i never touched the rod i never did anything he was four i remember he was four yeah. and uh because he was a new york sportsman at that time with this fish and it really literally was a you know it was a it was a solid solid fish for a little man and he reeled it up and i i did get down and and thumb it and get it up for him to take that picture but he carried that fish around like it was a stuffed animal for like uh four hours that fish did not make it i apologize to anybody who's listening that's a bass person but when your son catches that fish your daughter catches that fish that fish probably ought to make it somewhere other than back in the lake can we make that picture surface of luke and the barbie rod and oh, the mask absolutely. We, for, i have luke's it. gonna be listening yeah. we gotta yeah. see this picture absolutely. at some point we'll throw it up in the comments someplace yeah, right, right, yeah. i need this picture in my life <laughs> i'll yeah. send it to you as soon as we get yeah. home i know right where it yeah, is it's fun that fish should have counted as part of yours it should have yeah. you should have got a portion of it since he luke took your will barbie fight rod. me on that to this yeah. day yeah. he will fight yeah. me on that yeah. for barbie sure. rods catch fish they do yeah. oh no doubt they do absolutely it's crazy and usually it's the biggest fish. So you can have all this fancy gear. I've done it many times with my kids growing up. This rod, that rod, it never fails. It's the kid that's got the rod with the 12-pound line that's so coily that they got for $19.99. And usually that's going to be the big bite of the day. Yep. yep. And, and it's, it's very entertaining. And I have still downstairs in my fishing room. Like I have one room that's insulated so I can shoot shows in there and it's pretty quiet. And, and uh, I still have both of the rods down there. Nice. And the only change to either one of those rods is eventually I did put spring bobbers on them so that they could indicate strike in the uh, in the wintertime, too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but that's the only change. I still have both those rods. They mean more to me than my, you know, literally my $400 yeah. rods do. So wait a second. The Barbie rod, you put a spring bobber on yep. to use ice fishing. Yep. I love this. Yeah. I love it so much. When, when I was a kid, we didn't have ice fishing rods. 
We all had two-piece push-button spin cast rods and reels. Yep. And to use the mice fishing, we took the top half off. So you sure. had this rod that was so stiff, it didn't bend when you yeah. caught fish. But I love that, that you still have those. Well, I'm so old, Durham, that when we started with fishing rods, we actually still just used sticks off of the trees. That's true. And we used actual cat gut when we caught those fish. So, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, we were, I'm a little older than you. So. You, you sharpened a bone, so yes. you let the yes, fish swallow indeed. the yep. cube of meat. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, mastodon. If I ever go on mastodon. Survivor, if I ever go on Survivor, I think I can catch that fish that no one else catches. Yeah. I love it. Not naked and afraid, right? No, I'm not. Okay. I'm, I'm not about okay. that life. No. <laughs> well, Marin, what's your... If I'm your... naked, you should be afraid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just the Fair thought enough. of it actually uh, scared me a little bit. Yeah. Marin, what's your first memory of going ice fishing? So, this is embarrassing. My first memory of going ice fishing has nothing to do with actually catching a fish and a lot to do with making snow angels and eating hot dogs. Perfect. Like, those, that was it for me at, like probably three i don't know yeah. three in a yeah. snowsuit literally yeah. just like toddling out behind my dad and i made the joke to somebody yesterday at the show i was like i don't even know what to put in a bucket because i just follow my dad out he's been yeah. like that since i was three it's still like that yeah 27 years later i just toddle out behind him and hope for the best you know yeah. um but we used to just have so much fun yeah and that's one of the cool things about this sport i think is no matter how dedicated you are to it you can always take a step back and have some fun with it yeah yeah and I think that's a really cool piece. Snow angels and hot dogs. I yeah. want to do that now. It's right. awesome. Right. I I'm recommend so, it. I'm so glad that you say that, though, because I think there's a lot of people that get hung up on the whole idea of we have to catch fish, we have to catch big fish. Absolutely. Social media is an awful thing for that mm-hmm. because right. people mm-hmm. post their big fish pictures and everybody wants to one-up. That's just how we're wired as human beings. But really understanding that those experiences... Yep are what stick with you. And the memories. Yeah, exactly. I've said it so many times before. There are so few fish that I actually remember from my youth in going out ice fishing or fishing open water. But there are so many other memories that stick with me that are so, so meaningful. Yep, absolutely. And I love your comment about, you know, you never mentioned a fish that you caught. You you were looking across the table at your dad, and if you're listening, you can't see it, but I did. And you looked across your dad, and you're like, we had just so much fun. You know, and it's not about like I caught this giant bluegill, right. and it might be, and that could be part of the fun. Sure. But you remember just being like, I just wanted to go ice fishing. Yeah. yeah. And I think th- it's a common question we get at these shows because we get uh, maybe maybe a mom or a dad that wants to get a kid out fishing. They're just, they're trying to get involved. We've never done this, and I think we sometimes get too fixated on maybe the gear, yeah. mm-hmm. the stuff it takes, versus just like. Make sure that that kid, son or daughter, grandson, granddaughter, whatever, goes out there and has fun and wants to come back. Because like my kids, I have a wide spectrum of what they consider fun. Jack, (laughs) he's fishing hard, right? Right. Ben, he may not put a rod in his hand the entire day. Mm -hmm. He may be lost in the trees or sliding on the ice or eating snacks or doing this or doing that. But again, it goes back to... When the day's done, did you have fun, and do you want to do it again? Yeah. And then maybe modifying a little bit of some things we do to make sure that that happens for each of those kids. So I'm blessed to teach some kids' clinics, which I think most of us are, right? And, and we get some pretty sizable kids' clinics. One of the things that I always make sure happens on the periphery is, you know, drill half a hole, 
have a couple hockey sticks there for kids to be able to shoot pucks in. Don't drill all the way through because I found out that's very expensive <laughs> with pucks. Um, play a little bit of football if you've got some snow on the ice. Nobody's going to get hurt. Yeah. You know, make those snow angels. I remember one of the most fun that I ever had at a tournament. We went out, Luke and I went out to, uh, and this was early on in the Mackey world, Luke and I went out to a tournament in Reedsburg, Wisconsin, and we drove out. So Luke, the whole way out, was packing bait. So I had made the bait ahead of time, but we didn't have the packages put together yet. So Luke is probably eight or nine years old, and he's packaging the bait, and, you know, he makes money. He made money. I paid him to do that. So he had his own money when we got to the show. But the most fun we had is because the night before the tournament, we had good pre-fishing, could drive out, no problem. The night before, we got this horrendous ice and snowstorm. And during the tournament, I swear we got probably 18 inches of snow on the lake that year. It was a high pressure, just one of those brutally tough bites. We got our, I don't know, six or eight fish, whatever. And Luke looks at me and he goes, this just isn't going to happen, is it, Dad? And I said, no, I don't think it is today, buddy. He goes, all right, let's go wrestle. So we go out (laughs) in, in the middle of a tournament. Like we paid, we drove across the country to get to this tournament. And we spent the rest of the day with snow angels and wrestling in, in this really deep snow where nobody could get hurt so I could throw him around. And now he's <laughs> 6'3 and can throw me around. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those loving moments as a dad that you never get again. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those once-in-a-lifetime things. And it was just a freak nature thing that happened. But here's the thing. I didn't take the tournament so seriously, which sometimes we do as parents, and Marin's a parent now too, we take things so seriously and don't take that step back and say what really matters right. today. And what really matters today are everything that all of us have said, the experience that we have together with those people who care enough about us to get us out on the ice. I don't care if that's a parent. I don't care if that's a mentor. I don't care if that's your friends and you guys are yeah. just going down there together. Enjoy the experience. And then the world really comes full circle for you when you get a little more gray hair and you start to value those experiences over again, and your tournament days are not over, but you're just not taking it as here because you don't care anymore if you win. You donate your money, and you have the experience of being together in the brotherhood and sisterhood that is ice fishing. That's the thing I love so much about this sport. So you, you don't want to do the whole wrestle in the snow with Luke at this point? Uh, no, Luke at this Luke point. Will win. Is a, yeah, yeah. Luke will You have no so, chance. So quick and saying no that. chance. Well, he's huge. He's like 6'3". He's bigger than the rest of us. Right, yeah. right. we got and, no chance. And at this point, he's a lineman. He spends way too much time outdoors doing yeah. big physical stuff, putting pull. He's, a, he's the guy who builds the infrastructure, not the guy who hooks it back up again. So, yeah, he's. Uh, I hope he doesn't hear this, but he's been way tougher than me for probably about six or eight years now. Yeah. I'm not wrestling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we talked, we touched on Mackie a little bit. The listeners have heard Mackie. I think we've done a pretty good job yeah. of letting the crowd that we know in this world of ice fishing understand Mackie and the advantages. But I think we have to go down that that story of, you. I didn't know you named it. I just learned that. So there, yeah. I think there's some stuff we can backpedal on. Early days of Mackie, infancy stages of how this came to fruition. I want to hear some of that down and dirty on how Mackie came to fruition. I know your brain and how it's wired. Scary scary enough. (laughs) But I think it'd be great for the listeners to get a little backstory on Mackie, how it started, um, how it got to where it is today, and and let's let's chat about that. Yeah, so it started uh, very similar to almost every one of our great fishing stories. While we're fishing, uh, it was back in the days of the whip. 
like the little three-sided triangle thing that everybody sure. fished. And, and Matt, you mentioned it in one of the podcasts. I don't remember what it was, but you know everybody used to kind of slice pieces of plastic off and make their own bait. And because the a lot of our aquatic insects, which maybe we'll get to, maybe we won't, are very very small. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the big baits that are made for open water fishing. So something had to be different. So my buddy Tony pulls out these whips and he says, "Hey, you know." we really probably uh, should do a better job, you know, making these things look like bugs. So it was really kind of his idea. And I'm like, by we, you mean me, right? Because I was teaching mold making, so I'm a school teacher. My big boy job is a school teacher. Still do it, still love it. But I teach shop. So I teach 11th and 12th graders, automated manufacturing, machining, CAD, like all of that fun shop stuff, right? How many years have you done that now? I'm 28, I think, this year. Yeah, and I still love it. And uh, so... I was teaching mold making that next week. I said, you know what, let me see what I can do. So usually in mold making, we would make like a heart-shaped mold and make some chocolate, and the kids would give it away to their girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, their parents. But this year I said, when I got my guys together, I said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a bug. I have no idea how to do it because I'm, I'm not that guy, but we're going to figure it out together because that's how I teach my classroom. I say, look, it's, it's not that we can't know it. It's just that we don't know it yet, so let's go. Yeah. Let's go, baby. That's and cool. so I did the mold. I was melting down. I went to Walmart. I bought some Zoom baits. Sorry, Zoom. Melted them in the microwave, <laughs> shot them into the mold. And I'm like, oh, my God, this yeah. is the coolest thing ever. Because I grew up with, what were they called? Creepy crawlies. You guys remember that? You probably don't. Yeah. You may be old enough, but I don't Creepy think crawlers, so. Yeah. So they were actually candy that oh, you would yes. make and then push in, and they would make a bug. So yes. I, used, I made those on Orchard Street. And so it reminded me of that. And so I made it. And my kids immediately, my students immediately fell in love with it. And they're like, well, what if we make them all? I go, that's great. You'll get points. So you got to design the bait. Here's how you're going to get your points. And they said, what if we catch a fish? I said, I want a picture of it. And they said, what if we bring the fish in? Will you make a fish fry for us? I go, yeah, I'll make a fish fry for you. So wait, wait, wait. We're going to get points for making the bait. We're going to get points for the fish fry. I go, yeah, absolutely. We're going to points for the fish I fry. I want him as and a teacher. Yeah. That's, that sounds and, epic. Oh, it was fun. And, and during that period of time, I had everybody from inner city kids from Niagara Falls to, you know, real country kids. And so everything in between. But they all fell in love with this project. So the next year I did it again. And the next year I did it again. And so now I got, you know, after I did it and I fell in love with it, I was making molds after the kids went home. And so then I made a few more and a few more. Then fast forward to the championship. And uh, Kevin Riley and Richie Sikorsky win the national championship with the Mackey. Yeah. Then everybody goes, where do you get these baits? So now, all of a sudden, they're out of the basement and into the public. And I'm like, okay, i got to get serious now, so we got to figure out what we're going to do. I said, Tony, what do you want to do? He didn't really attach himself to that part of the business anymore because originally I made molds for him. I wasn't going to do any of this Yeah. because it wasn't my gig. But then I started making them, and, and it got to be more and more, and so I, I had to start making baits and had to get serious about it. So we incorporated back in, in 2006. We started making baits in 98, and we incorporated 2006. And so it was a slow process. It wasn't yeah. like an overnight success story, but it, it never was meant to be, really. I mean, it was really kind of that thing. So then Fast Forward Marin, I don't know if you remember, on Six Mile Lake. So yeah. we're in our family cottage. We have a family cottage up in Canada. 
um, and we're up on Six Mile Lake. You want to tell that story? Do you remember it or no? Yeah, so I, I don't know how old was I, probably seven and nine. Yeah, it wasn't. And yeah. he wasn't kidding. Like, our boardroom is literally either the kitchen table, <laughs> the boat, an ice hut. Like, wherever the four of us are together, that's, yeah. like, our board I love, meetings. I love that. We're sitting in the boat on Six Mile Lake right off of, like, this little treasure island thing mm-hmm. that we used to call it. Um, Why did you call here. it Treasure Island? Tell that story real quick, but real quick. Okay, this is a side a sidetrack, but you would all you could paddle out or you could ride the boat out and you would go up on this island and there was always like loonies and toonies up there, like hidden. So me and my brother when we were little were like, This is awesome, right? Like some sort of somebody left like this awesome stuff, like there's always treasure out there, like year after year after year there's always stuff you find and we're like this is awesome last year he broke my heart he goes me and mom used to just go out the first day and throw a bunch of coins <laughs> oh out there my gosh and i'm like no you're wonderful. kidding he's like no and i'm like really so, so i just found out but so we're in the boat we're sitting there and he goes what do you guys think about making a bait company and we're like what and he's like we got to do this better. He's like, I know I can do this better, which is a product of the Scott Brower life, right? Which is like work ethic to a hundred always. Like there's always something better. There's always something we can improve on. So we're sitting in the boat and he's like, what the heck are we going to name it? Like, what do you guys want to name it? And me and my brother are like, I don't know. We're like seven and nine. We're throwing out the dumbest names possible. And then what did, how did we even decide finally? So my buddy Swamper, which all good stories start with the sentence, my buddy Swamper. Um, Swamper. So we Sounds like to, there's Durham, a story. <laughs> Durham, you'll like this because you grew up in a small town. So we used to, we used to let's say, uh, we used to play darts in the middle of the road. So we would take a dart and we would throw it up in the middle of the road and see who could not move. And if you moved, then you got punched in the arm, right? Now, wait a second. <clears throat> Excuse <Excellent>. me. <laughs> For the listeners, when you're saying darts, you're not talking about plastic tip darts that you throw at a, bar, a dart board nowadays. No, 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 no. We're talking about steel tip darts. We would whip them up as high as we could in the road, and then you Lawn had to stand darts. still on the yellow line. Mm-hmm. Now, traffic sometimes was hard to come by where I grew up, right? <laughs> and so if you moved, you got to do that. So anyways, my buddy Swamper and I, we bought a lap streak, a Penyon lap streak, because we were running salmon um, tournaments at the time. So we were fishing salmon tournaments on Lake Ontario. I said, I want to name this boat Making Waves. And so I need to practice with the airbrush, which I'm not a good painter at all. Um, so I would get to MAKI and I would run out of space on whatever I was trying to. So in my garage on Johnson Creek Road, where we used to play darts, was MAKI painted everywhere because I would run out of space for the end and I was going to do <laughs> waves down below it. Cause, so I'm not a smart guy. Like I know some things, <laughs> but I'm not a sharp guy, obviously. So Swamper started calling me Mackie back in the early days, and that kind of stuck through our time when we were fishing those salmon tournaments. And uh, so when we're doing it, and I don't know why we didn't want the Brower name associated. We talked about it on yeah. that trip, yeah. not associating the Brower name with Mackie Plastic. we got to come up with something that's different because people want to creep on us, whatever. I don't know why we even did that, but we did. Yeah. So anyways, I said, what about Mackie Plastic? You know, like, what does that mean? Like, it, and, and Pam had a problem with it. She, she didn't think it was a good name because... It said plastic, but it really didn't say fishing bait, right? So she, and she's the smart one, like, well, Marin is the smart one, and Luke and I are the worker guys, and the girls kind of take care of us. So (laughs) anyways, fast forward, that's how, you know, it was supposed to be making waves. It wound up being Mackie Plastic. Um, We kicked around a lot of dumb names. You remember the one name that the kids were doing? It was the most fun. Remember what that was? What what was it? It was Papo Gijo Bait. Oh, yeah. For years, we didn't remember where that came from. 
and we didn't even know how to spell it if we did know where it came from. But then Marin finally watched with the, my kids. So full circle again, yeah. everything comes for full yeah, circle. Funny. My daughter's four, so we watched the Santa Claus. And when yeah. Tim Allen is like arrested and they're interviewing him, he like repeats all the names for Santa Claus. And at some point, he like tilts his head back and yells. Papu and we're like, that's so it could have been worse. Wrong. It could have been that name instead of Mac yeah. So plastic. it was almost Santa Claus plastics yeah. on accident. <laughs> uh, so I gotta go back just a little bit. The, I do too. The, dar- the dart, the dart thing in the air. So, is, have you guys seen the movie Grown Ups? It's exactly uh, yeah, we like that. Yeah, exactly and they like shoot that. a bow and yep. arrow in the air mm-hmm. and they can't move. And yep. I think yeah. David Spade takes one on top of the foot. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm picturing. Yeah, well, we, That's was, exactly There were some incidents of, of injury <laughs> at that point, but we did a lot of dumb things when we were kids. You know, growing up in the country, you don't have, we didn't, especially then. Like, so we're talking about like the 70s, early 80s. There wasn't a lot going on in the country. Yeah. So we would do a lot of dumb stuff like that. And, and you know what? I'm not above that. And I'll still do dumb stuff today if you guys want to go do it right now. <laughs> want to play darts, Durham? <laughs> well, first off, for anybody who's still wondering about what lawn darts are, they're illegal because they're dangerous. Um, You know, I've never been a huge risk taker, Yeah, but I love that story. I saw your outfit yesterday. Well, okay. That picture is going to surface on this podcast. I'm I'm a little, little bit of a risk taker, but I, I probably wouldn't have been involved in that game, but I could totally see all of my buddies playing it. Yeah. For sure. Like, we might get hurt, but we don't care. Yeah. I want to go back to the whole Treasure Island thing. Yeah. yeah. I think every parent should do that. I think every parent should find a Treasure Island or something similar yep. where they would do that. How magical is that? So, how, it, how cool was it as kids? Like, you would probably it get... It was awesome. It's, like, one of our favorite memories. My brother, too, because I asked him for his input before we did the podcast. Mm-hmm. And he was like, talk about Six Mile. Talk about Six Mile. And that's, yeah. like, that, I don't know. That's how we grew up. And yeah. everybody thinks growing up with Scott Brower, you're, like, this big fancy fisherman or fisherwoman. And you have all this cool stuff and all the newest tech and all the newest gear. And when we were little, we didn't have any of that. I mean, yeah. we had a we had a Barbie rod and a pack of hot dogs that we cut <laughs> up and threw in the lake and hope for the best, you know? So... There's always room for everybody in the sport, and if you only have ten bucks to throw at a rod at a thrift shop, that's all you need. Sure, you know. So. I love that. So, and and you said, I think it's funny because you said you're now thirty, and you yeah. just found out. I know, like yeah, very, very recently, within the that, last year, yeah. within the last year. Yeah. And so, Treasure Island, we that's can't awesome. really take credit for that because our relatives that are up there that own the cottage, right? They actually did that with their kids beforehand. So that Rosie told us about that, and she goes, you got to keep the Treasure Island thing going. So if you can, the listeners, if you can imagine what the Muskoka area looks like. So it's a lot of vertical rock, a lot of rock outcroppings, but small islands. Like, literally, that thing was no more than 50 feet. Yeah. Right? But it, it drops off into, you know, on one side a beaver swamp and on the other side very deep water. So this thing wasn't real big. And I don't know how they never caught on that every day they went out there and, you know, searched through this little island that more money would show up there. But the coolest part is there was a marina that still had dollar, you know, penny candy basically. It was probably 10 cents. So they would find a dollar. Then we would ride the boat over to the marina and they would be able to buy, you know, that slushy that day or that yeah. candy that day. And it was, uh, you know, it was it was absolutely a blessed time. As a, and we are a blessed family. And. You know, so it was, it was a lot of fun, and I don't even remember why the the truth came out about that. But 
you know, if when we get up there again with the grandkids, we're going to do the same thing. Next generation is going to see the same thing. Treasure Island will always be Treasure Island in our family, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sounds like Santa Claus has got nothing on Scott Brower. Man, <laughs> I got to tell you, that story literally choked me up a little bit. Yeah. Like that is... Yeah, I'm in this stage right That's now amazing. with some of my kids and the elf on the shelf. Yeah. And and I and it's different but similar, right? Where yep. at the, at your age, you had such a strong belief that this was really like buried treasure, right? Something special, something different, something magical. And I look at it now cuz I'm in the midst of having to hide the elf every night and yep. I still have a couple kids who still like are just extremely jacked up about it. Yep. 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 And and it is magical. It is special. It is different. It's something it you remember your whole life. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm not going to ask if you still believe in Santa, but who doesn't? <laughs> right. Exactly. I totally agree. Honestly, yesterday, for anybody who hasn't seen or you will see on the podcast, I came dressed up. You did. I came dressed to the nines. Yeah. Yeah. In a maybe full, tens. Might maybe have been tens. tens. Sharp. A white suit painted Wonder Bread. And a cane and a top hat and a bucket of candy canes that were Wonder Bread colored. Wonder Bread pinhead minnow tie. Wonder Bread pinhead minnow tie. And a Bluetooth speaker playing Stevie Wonder. But the reason I did that is when you come to the, the biggest ice show on earth, you want to see magic. Yeah. You, you don't go to Disneyland to see the people that are selling the corn dogs. You go there to see the princesses and... Yep. Mickey and Minnie Mouse. When you come to the ice show, you want to see something that's outstanding. And it sounds like the experiences you've given your kids are exactly absolutely right. outstanding. Right. Yeah, and I have Pam to thank. Like, you know, I'm the face of the Brower family, no doubt about it. And that's not pretty, but um, <laughs> the, the ones behind the scene are much better looking Browers, but they're also just good people. Like, I've preached a sermon yeah. one one Sunday uh, in my church, and it was, in a world of Scott Browers, be a Pam Brower. So she really brought that magic yeah. out of me as a man. And I taught both of my kids, look for somebody who makes you a better person and then commit to that person fully. Right? Right. Amen. Whatever that looks like. Because if someone makes you want to be a better person, they're probably a person you want to spend time with and maybe yeah. a person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Yeah. And, and, and here's... I mean, I got so many fond memories and stories of Scott, but the one thing is more of a theme. And the one thing I think you are so good at, and it's no surprise that you teach, right? Uh, but you are always fixated on the youth and educating and bringing someone up. I mean, we could be at Clamp Pro Day, and Scott will come up to me and tug on my shirt, and it'll be, here, I got all these baits for how many kids do you have out there? That's the first thing you think about. Yeah. You're not thinking about what's the newest rod or lure or that. or that. The first thing you're doing is you're studying the audience and trying to figure out one, two, three, four. How many kids do I have here right now? Because I want to make sure they're going to go with some new baits. There's something cool going on. There's something fun going. You're creating that magic, and I think that it's it's so awesome to see that. You know, even when you're on the tank, right away you're like, oh, let's get somebody else on the jig tank. You're not looking for Durham or Dave Gens. You're looking for ah. Uh, that 13-year-old's going to go up on the tank. Yeah. Okay, come over here. Yeah. And I think it's awesome. Yeah, and Jack, it's funny, I shared that picture. I don't know if you saw that or not. I shared that picture on social I media. I think it was like five or eight years ago. Yeah. Like, he is just such a cool little man who is so light years ahead yeah. of where I was at when he was he was my yeah. age. But it's because of spending time with people like you guys. Like, we have a lot of good pros who are teaching pros, right? Yeah. But they don't have the capacity 
to offer the things that I can offer to kids, which is free bait, right, basically. And so, you know, there's times when we've had enough for 30 kids, and if we and if there was 40 kids there, you and I have broken the bags down and made 40 bags out of 30 bags, right? So that everybody takes that memory home. And really what we're trying to do is that same thing, that same story of what Marin talked about with Luke, and that is catching that first fish that's magical. You asked me, Matt, what you know what that first fish was, like the Zach Cox, or I don't remember which one of the boys it was, one of the Cox boys. My first vivid memory of dragging a fish home from the log pond was a chain picking. Now, that is a fish that nobody wants to carry on a bike three blocks, and it's a fish you don't want to carry in your hand because their gill plates are very sharp and their teeth are incredibly sharp, and you're going to bleed halfway home. But I was so proud of this thing, and it was 18 and a quarter inches. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was probably six or seven. But back in that day, similar to like what Dave talked about, you left the house in the morning, and you got back in the afternoon or night, and it was almost dark out or dark out. My dad had this whistle that you could hear for miles, and when he whistled, the neighbor kids would go home. <laughs> yep. We had the same thing. Yeah. 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 So it was cool. Cool times yeah. for sure. Marin, I've got a question for you. Sure. So growing up then, did you ever have your dad as a teacher for one of your classes? <laughs> I did not, know, But uh, my husband did. Oh. Which is a very... Um, convoluted story a little bit we were actually forbidden from speaking to each other oh because he was he was interested in me and my dad said absolutely not yeah and he was like at the time yeah Yeah. and he was like what if i teach a fishing clinic and my dad was like first of all you don't know how to do that and second of all no yeah and he was like what if i learn about fishing and my dad was like you can go fishing with me but she's not coming yeah (laughs) and did he go no I actually had a, a, it was an application to date my daughter, and at the end of the application, you're going to need this, I'll pass it on to you, you're going to need this, at the end of the application, it said, revert back to the top, which says, you are not dating my daughter. (laughs) It didn't matter what you put on that paper, you are not dating my daughter. Now, the story is, so Marin, um, I've mentioned a few times, is incredibly gifted as far as Wright goes, she's also a good human being. So she was selected from her school. There's only one kid that got to go to this leadership place. So she would meet in my school, even though she, I teach at a school that has all different schools that come in for the technology classes. Mm-hmm. So I have 13 component districts that feed my program. So Eric, my son-in-law, was in my class, really good kid, but not a kid that I would have ever selected to date my daughter, ever, <laughs> ever. He drove too fast. He did things that I didn't. He did wheelies in the parking lot. That's what the counselor told me, but he didn't really do wheelies. It was a ranger. You don't do wheelies in a ranger. <laughs> no, it's an S10 So I told him they could never date. That's, don't ever do that. Yeah. That's the worst thing you could ever do is fast forward now. But they've given me two beautiful grandchildren. Yeah. I and he's awesome. Eric. I love Eric. He is one of my best friends. But I would have never selected when that little punk was sitting in my classroom <laughs> him to ever even look at my daughter, let alone date. So these guys were both very good at what they did. Eric was too. Went to the national championship together. They started giving googly eyes to each other, which I didn't see because I would have sent one of them home. <laughs> Probably Eric. Probably not Marin. She's my precious baby. Um, so anyways, that's how they met, like from my classroom. Because so yeah. Marin would come out with that leadership group. She would go home with me in the afternoon after they went on their field trip, 
And so she would hang out in my classroom, and I would just tell all the boys, look in the bottom, look down, or I'm failing you. And and my grandkid, when he gets here, is going to fail your grandkid if you even talk to her. Yeah, like that's the way I talk to my students. Yeah, because it's all love, but they know it. But oh, so anyways, fast forward, they get married, they give me two great grandkids. So and I love them both too. That's an awesome story. Yeah, and and it's a great example that even though as a parent you might. You want, you want the best for your kids. You 100% want the best for your kids. Every, every parent does. But even though you try to guide them down the, the, the path of, well, you should do this or you shouldn't do this, ultimately they're going to make their own decisions. And sometimes they're really good ones. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. She was way smarter than me, like always. So that's all good. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with not being the smartest guy in the room. I literally have said this to Matt. You've yeah. heard this. You've heard this, Jason. I don't have big lofty goals like the rest of the world. I just want to be smarter than a bluegill. I got enough intelligence surrounding me. They can take care of the rest of it. I just want to be smarter than a bluegill. That's all. I think you have been. And I think I think we should chat a little bit about Mackie in general and let people know just a little bit. There might be some listeners that don't know the full breadth of Mackie. Yeah. You know, they may know that it's a plastic brand or this or that. But I think it'd be neat to chat about some of that and some of your conceptual ideas. You really, really turned down that whole bug world, right? Yeah. That is your thing. And I, right. I've said this to many people outside of clam world, just in life, that I don't know anybody that has probably put so much focus in their trade as you when it comes to designing Mackie plastics. The intricacies, why this? And when you get up like on a tank or on a stage and you start to talk about it, like you can't see me if you're not watching, but you just get mesmerized by when you talk about this stuff because it's so important to you. And, And it's crazy. I think we should chat a little bit about Okay, why that rabbit hole? Why bugs? Why this? How you've studied the underwater world and how it's kind of come to fruition? Yeah, so for me, um, like I've read everything from doctoral papers on it to, you know, I, I, I wasn't always a bug guy. Like I wasn't, but I was always a fishing guy. Like I love to catch fish and I like to try to figure them out. I was a Jacques Cousteau, grew up watching that show. Like it was the best show in the history of shows. And the Wild Kingdom and all of those programs, the only programs that were on TV, because we didn't have YouTube or any of the rest of that, right? So I wanted to figure out the underwater world, right? And so the the bugs and how that kind of came to fruition was that, that first start in my classroom. But then I really got into it when I started to look at why are the fish interacting with these bugs? How often does that occur? And then ultimately, you know, how can we best mimic what happens on a bait and ultimately our whole goal from the beginning of time has been to just put more fish in a bucket for people whether they're going to eat them whether they're going to catch their first fish it was never really to win tournaments it was never really to become a business that was successful it was never really to lead the way in the bug world it wasn't any of that it was just to help mom and dads or you know people catch more fish in general so I started studying those things that are very challenging for some people to understand. And I think if anything that I'm good at as a teacher, it's looking at a thing and then making it easy for people to understand. And that's really what I'm trying to do is relate to something in their world. So Matt, you know, you say when I start speaking, people get that look on their face, they start to get mesmerized. But really what I'm looking for is that head nod when someone really understands it. Because until then, I don't know that what I'm saying is really kind of making sense to them in their world. Sure. So 
I think you learn an awful lot, and, and good fishermen do this a lot. And I think, Jason, you talked about this when you guys did the first show, and that is a lot of times I'll sit back and I'll watch Matt fish, right? I don't have to ask him what he's doing. I can just watch him do what he does, and then I can pick up hints from him, right? And I've done that from everybody, from people, Marin brought it up, people that are just starting in this trade and people that are, you know, winning the national championship and on the national team. But if you just spend enough time watching people do their craft that are good at it, set the hook, try to figure out where that happens in your world, you can start to really put together the pieces of the puzzle that make you a better fisher person, right? But in the same respect, you have to learn to watch fish. So when it was affordable enough that you wouldn't get a divorce for buying an underwater camera, I got hooked on the underwater world. And I swear to this day, even with some of the best speakers I've ever heard, I've learned more by watching fish than I've ever learned from a fisherman. Right. Because if you will just pay attention to the way that they flare their gills, to the way that they address a bait when they come up to it, to the way that they skate away when you've done something wrong, and I do that more times than I do something well, um, you can learn an awful lot from every species of fish just by watching it. So for any of people who are listening, start just do underwater fish. Yeah. You know, freshwater, underwater, catching bluegills. And then just watch how they're jigging and the cadence of that, what they're jigging with, and how the fish are interacting with that, and when they go and when they don't. I mean, most people don't share the videos of nauseam that I have on my computer when fish don't bite. Right. But you can learn just as much, and actually more, I think, when fish don't bite than when they do bite. And a lot of this has to happen, and this is why I love ice fishing, one of my passions, and where it really got started is either sight fishing, whether it's with a camera or looking down the hole, and just watching how what we do makes an impact on that fish. One of the fish that I love to fish most in the middle of our country is red ear sunfish. And red ear sunfish will sit there for four hours underneath you until it's time for them to eat. And I don't care if you bump them in the nose. They just sit there and they know they're the alpha sunfish in this world, in Michigan. And they don't move until they decide that it's time to eat. Yeah. And I've switched things. And, and I think being German and very stubborn has helped me become a better fisherman because the most I've ever changed, and I counted it this particular day because it got laughable, was 48 times before I got bluegills to go. 48 different changes with jigs or plastics or something. And I knew what they ate that day because I cut a couple small fish. If you don't, if you're going to keep fish that day anyways, cut a fish open, take a look at what's in there. That's as good of information as you can get anywhere. It's lifetime food, lifetime feeding. Look at the color of the whatever they're eating and look at what they're actually eating. And then when you do that, you'll know two of those pieces of puzzle. And how do you deliver it to them? And how do you jig it and weigh with cadence and rod tips to move it in a way that it looks like that aquatic insect? And that makes your catch percentage go through the roof because you've got lifetime information from the fish, right? And that makes perfect sense. But then there's times when those rules just don't apply and some big fish, they just don't apply because they don't know the rules that we make up as fishermen in our own heads, right? Yeah, I think that's such a great tip. and, and, And... We all like to harvest fish. I mean, I don't think any of us have ever gotten on this show or ever just saying, let everything go, right? We keep fish. We right. like to eat fish. Right. And I think too many anglers don't investigate 
what's going inside the stomachs of these fish, whether it's a bluegill, yep. whether if you're listening and you're, you're a big-time walleye angler, you might learn real quick exactly what these fish want to eat, and it might make a big difference. Grand Rude, we got a piece coming out. Oh, by the way, I was told by text that I'm supposed to say the Minnesota Wild won in a shootout like two minutes oh, ago. Nice. Oh, sweet. nice. So the game's going on, shootout, cool for anyone listening. But Grand Rude, we got a great video coming out this week on a day in the ice. And we've teased it a little bit. And on this video, you'll see a piece where his wife, Kelly, catches a walleye. And hooked onto her hook is something that that walleye ate that was not, they didn't put it on their hook. Mm-hmm. And it's, you see those moments and right away you're like, okay, that is clearly a shiner, this big or whatever, match the hatch, figure out what these fish are eating, and it can make a big difference like in the in the fly fishing world yeah that's everything yep and that's 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 a lot of the papers i read a lot of the stuff i read is in the fly fishing world because um they have very good hooks better hooks than we have in the normal world so i use an awful lot of scud hooks i use Mm -hmm. an awful lot of diachi and i'm not going to name too many names but good quality hooks invest in those because it'll save you a lot of like especially when you get older and a little bit slower the hook set it'll save you some of that stuff but that fly fishing world really invented the match the hatch. I just took it into plastic baits as opposed to tied flies so that everybody could have them in their pocket, right? And you could have a pocket full of them so no matter what the fish spit out. And even sizable, we were, um, I forget where that place was in the, in the Catskills that we stayed at, that house in the Catskills. But there was, uh, I caught a big walleye. And this is, if you don't want to harvest fish, there's a way to do it too. Fill a little uh, water in your bucket throw that fish in there, let them swim around for a while. Within 15 minutes, a captive fish will usually expel what they eat. Yep. So whether it's in a live well, whether it's in a bucket in the wintertime, keep your bucket inside if you don't want to cut that fish that day, put it in there, look at what that fish spits out. So anyways, we're in this place in the Catskills. Now, this is a homeowner association thing. Phenomenal. Sunfish, perch, everything was trophy size. So Luke gets the elusive 30-inch, 30 30-and-a-half-inch 30 walleye yeah. there. Oh. I throw that walleye... I know. Send the hate mail to Scott Brower at scottbrower.com. We, we were eating fish that night, so I took that 30-inch fish out of that water table. I'm sorry, Jason. I know you just cried no, a tear. No, it's okay. No, it's I, okay. I know you cried a tear right there. No, I, I love I put it. him in the live well. Look in the bottom at the end. The picture, if you've ever seen my pictures of bloodworms on the tip of my finger, and I share those pictures a little bit on social media and otherwise, that fish was fully gorged on North American bloodworms. 30-inch walleye. Yep, 30-inch walleye. All fish, big, small, medium, feed on these aquatic insects. Some papers say up to 80% of their diet in the wintertime comes from aquatic insects. For those of us who do not take advantage of that, you need to rethink why you're doing that because those aquatic insects, and think about it in terms of, um, you know, of, of any activity. So in the wintertime, these fish know... Their, their inactivity is a little bit uh, slower, and so as they have to move to eat, they're going to expel more energy than they're going to take in unless what they're eating moves very, very slowly or is captive in the weeds on the, on the bottom of a lake, the bottom of a, you know, that sticky bottom that where it all comes together. They're going to chase the most amount of protein and expel the least amount of energy to get that protein because they know if they don't bulk up and take advantage of that, 
they're not going to be able to sit on their nests in the springtime. So all winter long, as they start to gorge on, you know, there is a, a strong bite of, of young of the year fish, and that happens from now till about February. Most people, I, w- I would venture a guess, most people who use minnows to fish don't realize there's not a whole lot of minnows in the lakes. Right. But there is small fish, which is what a memo, minnow imitates. And so they're eating little, little crappies will eat, or big crappies will eat little crappies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't care. No. Yeah. So that year young bite does occur, but later in the, in the spring, in the early spring and before ice out, the aquatic insects again become critically important because those schools have all kind of been picked through a little bit. They've been slashed at, killed off, picked through. The rest of them have learned to stay in cover, but the aquatic insects are all still very available. And, and one of the things, and I think you mentioned it, Jason, early on, not in this show, but in another show at some point, don't be afraid to fish, and I think it was you, real, real shallow at that last ice. And the reason is, and, and most people I would say probably don't even know why that is, but it's an absolute truism, and it is because... The aquatic insects that are going to become terrestrial start to move their way through the lake into the weeds because as soon as that shore ice goes, they become terrestrial and start to take off into their next section. For a long period of time, they live between the water and the ground. So big perch, giant perch in that late season, the reason that those fish are where they are in those very, very shallow shallows is one, because the water feels better to them, because they've got run in from the sides typically, it's action. But there's also an overabundance of food there because all of those bugs now that are changing from the larval stage to their more adult stage are starting to creep up those shorelines. So if you kick a rock over, instead of just saying, oh, my God, look, the lake's going, start looking around those shorelines and the weeds and the rest of it. You're going to find an awful lot of food source there that's super easy for the fish to catch. So they know they're going to have to sit on a nest, so they're going to take the easiest meal possible. It's like me going over to the donut shop and getting a bucket or a basket of donuts. I'm going to have to eat a bucket of donuts, so i got to fly back to Buffalo tomorrow. You know, you made a comment earlier on, you know, he said, you know, I don't need to be the smartest man in the room. I just want to outsmart the bluegill. I just listened to 10 minutes of proving that Scott is much smarter yeah. than a bluegill. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff that I think, if, if you want my honest opinion on what's probably missing from a informational point of our industry we're so saturated with a lot of this a similar conversation how to catch a walleye oh you get on a weed a a rock point they come in at low light you use this right i think what we're missing honestly is some of the stuff that you're trying to teach yeah the true details of it the next level stuff and i think that the the way it's presented is probably what scares people in my opinion meaning they're we're simplistic and when you start talking about some of the things you said, people are kind of like, oh, that's over my head. But it's really not. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It makes sense. Yeah. It's it's the connective tissue. Yeah. And is the reasoning why fish do something. We can tell people how to fish and do this, but why would they react to that? Yeah. Right. Why would they eat this bait? Yeah. When yeah. you look at, I learned a few years back, um, uh, rock, uh, rock ledge, so a sharp ledge, like get the picture in your mind coming down on a lake, let's say it's 15, 18 feet deep, it goes to that flat bottom. You look at those inside turns. Everybody says inside turn, inside turn, inside turn, but why is that a thing? Well, when the water flows around there, that inside turn, that back eddy that it makes it, guess what? All of those eggs, all of those dead animals even, those dead micro and macro invertebrates, 
they all go into that back eddy and they sit there. Why are the fish tight to the rocks where it bottom flattens out? Because gravity. Eggs that are hatched or drop down into those rocks eventually become right at that point of contact. So Matt, you and I are sitting three feet away from each other and let's say three feet beyond that, if I'm off that by six feet, that rock ledge where it comes down to the bottom, there's no exit because yeah. the bottom's flat, right? Sure. So they trickle down through those rocks, it flattens out and it goes there. Those detail to nauseam things are what I did. The, my crowning achievement, I hope Genzi listens to this, was I was sitting in a seminar one time, I was sitting in Dave's seminar and I'm listening, and somebody asked a question about aquatic insects and he goes, I have one of the brightest minds in the country about aquatic insects. I want to call Scott up and let him answer this question. So it was about bluegills and it was about crustaceans. I went into a five to 15 minute dissertation on what they eat, how they eat it, blah, 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 blah. It was like when Dave called me up there, the clouds open and the angels <laughs> sung, and it was my crowning moment as a human being besides making Marin and Luke. Um, I had to throw that in as cover. <laughs> But it was my crowning moment, really. I was so excited about that. And I'm like, you know, I've made it. This is the point, which I know I've made it. So I get through this five-minute dissertation, and, and Genzi, like only he can, says, yeah, but they're bluegills. Throw a couple of your love on, you're going to catch them. <laughs> and so I went from the highest of high in the history of ever so, yeah, but they're bluegills. Just yeah. throw some your love on. They're going to eat them. Marin, I, I got to ask you, when you're sitting around the table at dinner when you were younger, would your dad sometimes go into one of these tangents and start talking about the underwater world and environment and invertebrates? And so I can remember before we did, I think it was maybe one of the fall shows, we were eating dinner and I don't even know what we were talking about. And all of a sudden, like out from under the table comes like this case and he's got like pictures of bugs and like maps of the lake and he's like planning out his seminars and my mom just keeps like sliding them further away and she's like not at the table not at the table I don't want to look at that not at the table so yes all the time all the time and I think I've heard his spiels several times but like to Matt's point I think I learn something every yeah. time I hear it right like you could hear it 15 times and you learn a new fact every yeah. every time you listen for or, sure. or a way it applies to something right, right. May, even if you hear the same thing right it may click differently on how you're buying a, a current bite like you know what you know i've heard that before but no that makes perfect sense now for what i'm experiencing on lake a b or c in this certain bite because we laugh you don't want to be smarter than the bluegill and yeah. dave's comment yeah, just yeah. bluegill but i'll tell you what never know he's makes the comment you know a bluegill's brain's the size of my pinky nail shirt and i always laugh because at the end of the day we do get outsmart by these bluegills all the Time. And maybe yeah. it's not outsmart. Maybe they're so dumb that they don't bite. <laughs> maybe it's such the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. But we do. Yeah. There's a reason big bluegills kick our butts right. all right. the time. Yeah, those trophy-sized fish are not easy. And a yeah. lot of people, you know, it's it's funny. I was talking to Ritzy about it before we came on the air, and we were talking about bluegills because when we get together, that's what we do, you know, to show we sh to, to learn from each other so that we can share with other people these stories, right? But one of the things that, that we were talking about is that tiny little microscopic brain and how often it outsmarts us, especially trophy-sized fish of any size. They're like trophy deer, like a, a big buck will almost always carry a button buck with it through hunting season to push that button buck out to be sacrificed so that he doesn't get killed. Well, big fish are smart 
because they're still swimming. They're smarter than the rest mm -hmm. of the fish around them. They've seen an awful lot of what we can do. So I guess my point is, don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to do new things. Don't be afraid to, and, and this is where Mackie Plastic started, is don't be afraid to experiment with stuff you don't know about. Yeah. It's not that you can't know it. It's that you don't know it right now today, but you can know it. You just have to apply, like what Marin said, work ethic, yeah. right? You want to know it? Go know it. It's easier today to know it than, you know, when we talked about, when you guys talked about early on, the magazines that you got and all of them, and we read them cover to cover probably two or three times because that was the only information that was out there. Well, there's a whole lot of information out there today. Guys like Jack and, and Jack's really peers are going to be teaching that next generation, and they're already teaching us. If you're humble enough to sit back and close your mouth and listen more than you talk, you're going to learn an awful lot by listening to even, you know, I, I mentioned today from the stage that uh, I've learned more sitting on a bucket from for an old guy who had none of this stuff. Still, to this day, sitting in the middle of the lake in somewhere, I'll always pull up a seat and sit down and say, hey, what's going on? Yeah. How are you? And then when I leave, I leave them some plastic. They don't know who I am, and I'm nobody anyways, but, you know, I'm recognized more than I used to be, but... It's just that humbleness and that humility, whether it's from the fish, whether you're so humble you're willing to listen to the fish, or a human being next to you that make you that learner that can do and be whatever you want to do and be. It's not that you can't know it, you just don't know it yet. Yeah, and I love how abstract you are at times. Like, like you have designed through molds and drawings and all this intricacy of how you've studied bugs. You've designed out of the package, some of the coolest looking plastics that are supposed to imitate exactly what we need, right? But in, in my conversation with you over the years, it's still not enough for yeah. you. You're still taking the coolest design, drawn on paper, this, 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 and modifying it. Oh, you're still pulling a tentage, you know, yeah. a, a appendage off of this one, or tweaking, you're always preaching that. Like, yeah. you don't have to fish this out of the package. Even though I designed what I think is the perfect Daphnia imitation. Yep. Take this one segment off, take this one little piece off, and look at what it does now. And I think as anglers, we don't do that enough. Right. We are always fishing things as face value. We're not modifying. We're not getting creative. And I think if, if there's any snippet out of this podcast that I would like to just push on to our listeners is outside the box. Yeah. That term is thrown around a lot, but it really has some powerful meaning. Fishing outside the box and oftentimes and in many situations is the key to success, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Whether it's looking for food inside the belly of a fish you just caught, right. whether it's changing this or changing that, whether it's thinking a little differently or thinking more like a bluegill or thinking about the inside turn and the eggs. Like, mind blown. Like, this is the stuff that I'm telling you. People just don't comprehend uh, and I'm not, and, and most of our listeners are probably smarter people than us. Yeah, right. Sure, right? right. We yeah, can no be, doubt. But it's the outside the box thinking, I think, at times, and that's what you've really done with Mackie yeah. for this industry is the outside the box thinking that helps us ultimately catch more fish. And I learned that from my students really more than anything else because, you know, they're not afraid to take risks. So many times yeah. in education, they've been taught to know something between Monday and Friday, and then after that, it doesn't really matter. But what I try to teach my kids is, you know what, I'm not going to teach you what to know. I'm going to teach you how to know stuff. 
so that you can teach the next generation, so that you can teach that next piece. But that outside of the box stuff comes from people like Jack, like your son, that have been exposed to things, but then have created their own way with it. Sure. When you talk to people, and, and this is where we get arrogant as fishermen, sometimes we think that we as, as quote-unquote pros, whether that's promotional staff, professional, if you're fishing professionally, whatever that looks like, that someone who just starts in this sport, someone like Marin who doesn't get the opportunity because she's so busy to fish can't teach us things. That's so arrogant. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the untrained mind that's better at coming up with these outside of the box things than the very trained mind. I so would 100% please agree. feel a value if you are trained, untrained, pro, not pro, unpro, whatever that looks like. You have something to add to this puzzle, an ice team wants that out-of-the-box yeah. thinking. Help us push that out to someone else. When you've seen something that's successful, help other people know that. If you take that to your grave, you're only one person that knows that. Right. You share that with one person or ten people, they share it with ten. That's a hundred people who know what you know now. Right. And then maybe there's a thousand next year. Right. That piece of it is so important for this sport, and that's why I love ice fishing. That's some... Powerful advice. Wow. Yeah. I'm just, I'm taking this all in, I've, and, I, and I'm taking the approach of doing more listening because it's just like, you're filling my cup right now, man. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> the yeah. cupeth, what do they say? The cupeth is R- floweth? No, runneth over. Yeah. Runneth. Yeah. yeah. Runneth over. Man, dude, I tell you what, Scott, you are such a wealth of information. We're so lucky. I love the stories we got from our end. I love... I feel I feel like there's more though. There's <laughs> got to be something else, you know. Uh, we've been talking. Sure. We've been talking for 75 minutes, and it goes so fast. Yeah, and I'm telling you, we could sit here. I could talk. With, we could oh, yeah. talk till the lights come off. But there's got to be something deep in that vault that we got to know. <laughs> I have I have two great things. Yes. I thought of. One is his most important invention. Mackie has for sure been innovative and changed the ice fishing game for sure. Yep. But there is something that he invented that tops that, and that is called the snackle box. The snackle box. Yes. Yep. And he has prepared one for me every time we have gone out on the ice my whole life. Yeah. It includes Swedish fish, M&Ms, and whatever else fits in the little compartments. Yep. And if that one doesn't go out with us, I don't go out. Yeah. It's very important. So some people leave their Vexilar at home and they don't go fishing. If, if the snackle box is at home, yes. you don't go fishing. And I would encourage everyone to demand one from their fishing partner. <laughs> and and sure. I've seen some of this on social media recently about the snackle box within the last year or so, but you've been doing this for forever. Yeah, long since time. she was a baby. We actually danced to that song, She Thinks We're Just Fishing, when we danced at her <laughs> wedding. Now I'll cry instead of you, Dom, but... <laughs> Um, you know, I didn't say I was crying. I said, guy, yeah. got a little reclaimed. That's it. Yeah. Well, I saw the tear, but whatever. Um, but, you know, when we danced to that song, that song has so much meaning. If you never listened to it, look it up on whatever. But, what was the song? Uh, she thinks we're just fishing. She thinks we're just fishing. Yeah, okay. So it really talks about how important life is. And, and, you know, we would do that. And I remember our trip to around Akoit Bay was one of my favorite fishing trips ever. You, know, you think about all of the trips that I've taken, you know, I've been blessed to fish with some of the you know, some of the best fishermen in our country, but um, the ones that mean the most to me are, you know, those stupid things playing with that, that day that you and I spent, I took some video that day of me reeling in a fish and, you know, that that whole thing, you know, just that, that snackle box was how I could get Marin out there. Because otherwise she really truly had no interest. 
you know, because she was she no, had her I, nose I in a do, book. I do catch fish. She does. You make 100%. me sound like I don't, but I do. I <laughs> do. But the snacks are important. She had her nose in a book since she was three. So you know, she's just that super bright human that that you have to motivate in other ways. And in this case, it's Swedish fish and M Ms, and that's all you need. <laughs> the way to Marin's heart: Swedish fish and M Ms. I get a lot of mo- of uh, motivation from both. Yeah. yeah, as you should. Yeah, as you, should. you you wouldn't believe how much motivation I can give a kindergartner with half of a gummy bear. See, see, there's something to it. I'm telling you. Are you, yeah. bite, are you biting it in half? No, he eats the other half. Yeah. Uh, um, I think the most important Scott Brower fact that everyone should know before oh we boy. wrap up is his most favorite CD that he plays on the boat that he will blast across mm. any lake, regardless of the situation. And that is Sean Paul. Oh, Sean Paul. You wouldn't get that from me, you know, normally, but, like, I, I don't know why I like Sean Paul's music. I don't even know, understand half yeah. the words. I sing them. So it, it's funny because back in Gastown, I'm known for singing on my tractor with headphones <laughs> on. At the top of my lungs, my neighbors all shut their windows when, that, when I mow my lawn. Not because of the tractor, but because of my singing voice. <laughs> but maybe someday from the booth, if we can get the right DJ to yeah. open up for me, maybe I'll sing a little Sean Paul. I, yeah. I love this. I love to sing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you, don't, you give me any opportunity to sing, and I will step up to the plate. I want to sing with you. I'll, I'll bring my guitar. We need it. We yeah. need we're, it on the Bluetooth good, speaker. Did you bring the speaker today? Uh, I actually didn't. I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking room, like right now is an opportunity. Yeah. Right? yeah, it could be. Check, baby, check, baby. <laughs> Where's Danny Vu? Where's Danny Vu? <laughs> DJ Danny Vu. Huh? He's right there. We need the DJ. Oh, we got to get Danny, Danny, my boy. DJ Danny Vu. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Marin had one other story that she told me she was going to tell. I don't know if you're going to tell it or not, but she mentioned why I became an ice fisherman. Earlier okay, today. yes. So this is also a, a Luke this collaboration. Luke, we were joking today and we said Dad switched gears and went specifically to ice because one of our uh, most favorite memories as children or maybe unfavorite memories as children was every time we left a lake with the boat, Dad fell in. Every <laughs> single time. Every time we docked the boat or put it back up on the trailer, he fell in. Every time. Yeah. Now, now you got to understand. I have all of the manufacturing equipment that a person could have. Yeah. You think I'd be? That's why I'm saying, dude. I'm not a smart man. I just know some <laughs> things. You think I would be smart enough that on the tongue of my trailer, after the tenth time <laughs> taking a drink, that I would put some steps going out there so I could get the boat pulled up on? This is before the automatic hookups. Now I have that, so I don't get wet anymore. Yeah. Well, that's not true. Not with that <laughs> boat. I don't get wet. With my pontoon, I'll still get wet. But. The truth is, um, I have trouble staying. I don't have the best balance in the world. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I have trouble staying on that tongue. Well, you know, Scott, yeah. I like to look at the positive of everything. Okay? <laughs> and the positive out of that is during this time period where this was happening most frequently, cell phones weren't invented yet. So you weren't, <laughs> yeah. you weren't soaking That's one true. every time That's you true. went fishing. But Bell, we yeah. did learn Bell colorful point. words as children. Yeah. We learned very <laughs> colorful words. And there's no video proof of me falling in the exactly. lake. So it may have never happened. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my that gosh. That is a true story. I do go in an awful lot. Yeah. And I do say colorful words. Have you ever gone through the ice? Yes. So early on, you know, it's almost like, and I, I discourage all of this. But it's almost like a badge of honor when you first start that, you know, I went through checking the shore ice, whatever. And we have to be so careful out there because 
where we fish out in New York, there's an awful lot of springs, which there is here too. But, you know, we have a lot of spring-fed lakes, and, and, and it's dangerous. Like, it's a dangerous sport. I think I was talking to somebody here at the show. One of the reasons this is such a strong, and I don't mean to over-dramatize it, um, brother and sisterhood is because we're literally, you know, our hands are in each other's lives. If, mm-hmm. if Matt goes in, I've got a rope, a safety rope to throw to him. And, and unfortunately, I've been on both sides of that, where I've been in and had to been rescued and and I've had to rescue other people. And, yep. uh, you know, I remember the last time I talked to Jimmy was here at this mm-hmm. show. He and I went to get a hot dog. We we're sitting around the garbage can. You have no idea. No idea that that's the last time you ever talked yeah. to him. Right. Because I would have had such a different, you know, you can't. You can't know that, right? But it is a sport that, that if you're new to it, it's not like fishing from the shore. You have to be careful. Go with someone who knows what they're doing. Um, and just be super careful with a spud bar, with uh, with reading ice. You know, now I've become pretty adept at it. But it's easy to look at a YouTube video and think anybody can walk out any ice and it's going to be safe. Yeah. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. That's good Even advice. in the depths of winter, if there is the, the earth farts every day, yeah. and those farts are gas pockets. Those gas pockets can degrade any pocket of water, any ice that's floating. Ice is just like ice in your cup, it's just floating on the top of the surface of the lake. And you can go through that, even in deep water, shallow water, whatever. So we have to be so careful to warn people if you don't know that. And I'm not trying to discourage you from going out on the ice. It's one of my greatest loves being out there. But you have to be super careful with that. So yeah, I have been through, and uh, it's not a lot of fun. Uh, but just, you know, you have to also... Just be ready for it, and if it happens, don't panic. Yeah. Panic I, kills people. I think that really the ice fishing community has done a good job of reminding each other about that safety factor of it. You know, just a week ago, we had this incident on, on Upper Red Lake where a big sheet of ice broke off. And a lot of people wanted to comment that, oh, these anglers were, were dumb. They made a, a stupid mistake, and they shouldn't be out there. And, you know, where we live, this is part of our lives. This is part of our heritage. This is what we do. And in reality, in reality, with the number of people that ice fish, the number of incidents that occur are very, very low. In fact, I was talking to somebody today and I said, do you think you're more likely to have an injury or a fatality ice fishing or get bitten by a a shark? And they said, probably get bitten by a shark. But that doesn't mean that we should go into shark-infested waters. Correct. Yeah. You always have to be safe. You always have to be alert to everything around you yep. when you're out ice fishing. Yep. Yep. And you know, it, again, that's our message when we teach, right? Uh, we almost always start every seminar. Doesn't matter what it's going to be with a little bit of ice safety. That's because if there's someone who has not been reached, mm-hmm. those are the people we want to reach for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's good message. You know, we could talk all day. Uh, it, when we knew we were going to do podcasts at the St. Paul Ice Show, I mean, what was the first name we both mentioned? We got to sit down with Scott. We have to. I appreciate you that. And, and I just want to say for you guys, like I've listened to most of the shows. I'm not all the way through because I don't get a lot of travel time. I will now that the ice season starts. Mm-hmm. I listen to podcasts in the wintertime, driving back and forth to lakes, right? But in the summertime, I'm pretty busy making bait for clam and so for the Mackey world. So what a fine job you guys are doing um, just bringing out the backstories and you know so entertaining i have hearing aids i'm deaf for anybody who doesn't know 
I wear those hearing aids. So Pam and I are sitting on a plane. We went down to Lauderdale to fish a couple weekends ago for the weekend because she puts up with me. And so I'm literally sitting next to her on the plane giggling like a mental patient. And she's like, people are going to think you're crazy because you can't see my hearing aids. So I'm listening to the podcast giggling in the corner of a plane. And she's like, people are looking at you. And I'm like, oh, I was listening to the again story. I don't care. But you guys, I just want to thank you so much. And Clam, too, for putting this out because um, literally they couldn't have picked two nicer guys, two easier guys to talk to right now. And and literally the stories that are coming out of this are going to be hopefully ones that people can learn from. And then ultimately, you know, maybe maybe somebody who listens today is the next Mackie Plastic, right? Yeah. And it's because you guys chose to spend your time to do this, to educate other people. That is such... A critical piece you will reach and you have reached already more people than than anybody could possibly know but i wanted to thank you guys not for having me on because whatever with me but because of what you're doing for everybody in our community so well thank you yeah. i mean to yeah. be able to sit down with people like you two and hear your stories yeah man i i got a lot out of this today yeah. just personally i did. if you don't think jason and i are as excited or have as much fun as the guests you're kidding right oh, I'm sure like we have it. and think about it we get to do this with all the guests you get right. to hop on once with us we get to do this a whole bunch of times oh, with all right. kinds yeah, of fun right. people any parting words of advice anything you either of you would like to add, say before we cut you loose and get back on the, the floor you want to go first I think for me, um, mostly just like don't be afraid to get out there. Don't be afraid to ask for advice. Yeah. Um, it's a very welcoming community. It's a very open community. Um, even if you don't know anybody, you don't know kind of what you're doing, you don't feel like you know what you're doing, ask the person next to you. Sit, scoot your bucket over a couple holes and see what they're doing. Kind of watch and learn from them. And like Dad said, you can learn from anybody, from the three-year-old kid that just pulled a teeny tiny bluegill out of the ice to the old man sitting on the bucket across the lake and just feel welcome to kind of join the coolest sport in the world yeah yeah well said yeah and for me it's just you know if if you listen to this if you learn anything if you've been inspired by anything don't be afraid to be that person for someone else because you never know how important what you say what you do is going to be to that other human being and sometimes we're the only people i I say this to my kids all the time and my students um, specifically i say if not us then who is going to do that right yeah so take that advantage take that opportunity for yourself to uh to really inspire the next generation of anything hunting fishing uh basket weaving i don't care what it is and work really hard at it and understand please all of you younger people that are listening to this podcast work harder than everybody else in the room be the first one there and the last one to leave and you're going to be super successful in life even if nobody notices it you will be super successful because eventually that's going to come out. It's going to come back to you. And I've got more from people than, and I appreciate all the kind words that you guys said, but I've got more from people than I've ever given to people. And go at the world with that heart, and you'll always be willing to learn and always be willing to teach. Well, I don't know if we can thank the two of them enough. Thank you so much. Uh, I mean, if, if people need to listen to this one, I... I I think there's so much information here that's just not story-driven, just intellect and abstract thinking. So thank you so much for joining on this. It's yeah, been it was awesome. Fun. Yeah, yeah I, I love the stories, some of the dirt. I, I know what to get Scott for Christmas. Uh, how does he say it? 
Just give me the love. Yes, that's right. exactly. That's <laughs> I, it. I just picture Scott jamming up to Jean Paul. I'm getting you a shirt. Oh, <laughs> you, you, we, you probably. Some will give it to. Some will give it to. You guys want to go down right now? Go down right now. <laughs> Take us out, Scott. It's so funny because if you uh, could see my face, you would never think Jean Paul on my face. But it wasn't what I thought you were going to throw out. I was there. picturing like it's going to be something soup, like a Britney Spears. I was thinking like Britney Spears, just like. Backstreet Boys, something like that, you know. But uh, uh, thank you so much for tu- for joining us. Thanks so much for having thank us. You. On. We yeah, love yeah, having you. A lot of fun. Awful lot of fun. So blessed to have you yeah, a thanks. part of the team and uh, rock and roll. Jason, anything to add before we sign off? I'm just going to sign us off the way I usually do, piggybacking on your story from earlier. And I always tell people: be safe, be smart, and be a hero. Take somebody fishing. That's the way to do it. Love it.